Masechet Besa, Daf 38. And we are continuing our discussion of Eruv Tichumin um, on Shabbat and on, on, and on Yom Tov. And these lead to some really interesting cases because you have like the theory of relativity going on here, where just like in relativity, the uh, speed of a train or a rocket is uh, one according to some perspective of one person, but different according to the perspective of a different person, depending on your frame. So too, a certain object, right? If I have uh, this uh, glass or my shirt or anything that belongs to me, just as I can go 2,000 amot in every direction from where I am or where I place my eruv, so too all my possessions have the same law. And that means that if I give you something on Yom Tov, you cannot take it anywhere that you can walk, your tichum, but rather it's limited to where I would be allowed to take my object. And so therefore you have to ask me, hey, where is your eruv? Where is your tichum? How far can you go? And you have to make sure not to carry my object further than that. And so this leads to some interesting cases. Uh, the Mishnah mentioned, If I came before Yom Tov and say, hey, listen, you know that this glass that you have, can I borrow it? And you say, sure, pick it up tomorrow on Yom Tov, right? But it's yours. In other words, you can borrow it, but I, you're not going to have physical possession. So in that case, it goes by the borrower. Since I went to you before Yom Tov and I said, can I borrow it? even though it's not in my physical possession, since I have permission to use it, and I got that permission beforehand. So we already have in mind before Yom Tov starts that it will be wherever I go, the borrower. borrower. So we ask, Pishita, isn't that obvious, right? It's like mine. And so the answer is, because of the case that I just described, um, certainly, if you gave me the glass before Yom Tov and I, I had it in my physical possession, then for sure it's mine and I can take it anywhere that I can go. But the chidush here is that even if I leave it in your house on when Yom Tov starts, but I asked you beforehand and then I'll go get it on Yom Tov, even in that case, I can take it anywhere I want. I might have thought, since it's not in my physical possession, so therefore it goes by you, the lender, the, right, the one who's giving it to me. Nevertheless, no, that's not true. It goes by the borrower. And this uh, inference, uh, we can prove, uh, supports, supports, there's explicit in Yochanan's statement that says, if I borrow something from my friend before Yom Tov starts, even if he didn't actually give it to me until Yom Tov does start, since he got, I got permission. So you know what? It's already like as if it's mine. Okay, so that's case number one. I'm sorry, I skipped one paragraph right before, right at the beginning. So let me go back one second. And here, Amar Shemuel, Shemuel said a statement, Shor shel patam, harehu keragle kol adam. Shor shel ro'e, harehu keragle ota ha'ir. Shemuel said, taught that, if I have an ox of a professional fattener, this, he, they, he would take oxen and stuff them so that they would be nice and fat and tasty. And then people would go and buy them during the week. On Yom Tov, people would go and take it from him and not exchange any money. Uh, but they would pay pay for it afterwards. So Shemuel's giving a big chidush, even though this uh, this fattener, he's in possession 
of the of the oxen when Yom Tov starts, and he doesn't know who's going to come and acquire, take it and acquire it. Nevertheless, it follows the feet, the tchum of the taker. Um, however, shor shel but Ro'eh is different because in the Ro'eh, I own it and I give it to my, my ox walker, right? my sheep walker, rather to go and walk it for me. But I'm in, it's, in, it's mine and I'm in, I'm in possession. So in that case, if a Ro'eh is taking from lots of different people, from his neighbors, then he can only walk as far as the smallest common denominator of the people of that city. Um, since he's take, he has all of their oxen. And so the question is, what is the difference between case number one and case number two? Right? In case number two, this shepherd is, has, um, has, has oxen of lots of different people. In case number one also, the guy has in mind, I don't know who's going to come take it. So you might say it also should be limited to where the fattener is, or maybe even more limited, if you want to say, to anyone who potentially might come and take it. Shemuel does not agree with that. The question is why? And one uh, option as a reason is that he considers this, these oxen uh, of the fattener to be like hefker, because since anyone can come and take it and the owner knows, the fattener knows that he's not going to keep it. Someone's going to come take it and they're not paying for it on that, on that day. So therefore he says it'll belong to whoever ends up taking it. And so therefore it's, uh, it's as if it's already there. Now, truth is, if it was really hefker, then uh, even hefker, owns a spot. Um, if uh, something is lost on the street or watch or something, I can't move it 2,000 amot from wherever it was. So this would be have to have to be even something like less than Hefker that it just doesn't have any spot at all because he knows someone will take it and that person will um, acquire it when he does. Okay, it can't be that he, Shemuel thinks that it's retroactive uh, because we saw early yesterday that Shemuel thinks in the case where we share an ox and we have two different tchumim, we cannot move it because you can't do berira on an ox when you're splitting it into two. But that's, you're splitting it into two and we don't know who's has, who has which side. But this case is a bit more lenient because I know one person is going to come and take an ox so he can go ahead and do it. All right, back to our cases of the Mishnah. And the next clause says, Beyom tov hamashil. Uh, If I lend some, if I borrow something on Yom Tov itself, um, then, then the lender, right, the owner, uh, of it that is limited to where he can walk. So even if I, the borrower, can walk farther in a certain direction, doesn't matter because I borrowed it on Yom Tov itself. So we ask, Peshita, isn't that obvious? So yes, it would be obvious, but it comes to include even a case where I own this, uh, you know, this uh, platter and my neighbor comes and borrows it all the time. Every holiday, uh, they have a company and they always like to borrow this platter. So they borrow it every time, every day. And so therefore I expect and so uh, and so I expect them to come. And therefore I may be thinking, listen, even I even though they didn't come borrow it, maybe since I know that they're going to come borrow it. So already I, I consider it like it's theirs and they consider it like it's theirs. So I might have thought in such a case, maybe in fact it is theirs and they can take that platter and, and carry it anywhere in their tichum. So this comes to teach them, maybe not. Maybe one time my neighbor will decide to borrow a platter from a different person. So it's not necessary that they're going to borrow my platter. So even because of that uh, chance, 
um, it still remains in my possession until they come and borrowed it. And therefore, when Yom Tov started, it was mine. So this platter is limited to my, do my domain. Uh, they need to come beforehand and say that they want to, want to get it. All right, and now we're going to get to the main topic of today's daf, a long discussion, a long dialogue back and forth that is um, not only lively, but also a little bit complex, but very interesting. Uh, so the dialogue, they speak kind of in code, but we'll try to unpack it, unpack it as simply as we can. This is this interesting case where a woman is making dough and she needs some salt. She ran out of salt. She goes to her neighbor said, says, can I borrow some salt? I mean, obviously she'll, she'll give back something else after Yom Tov, salt or, or a different salt or the money. She's putting it in the challah that she's baking. And the Mishnah said the surprising law that this challah um, is limited to where you can take it by both the salt owner and the dough maker. Uh, it's the lowest common denominator, that Venn diagram middle part of where they can both walk because it has both ingredients. It has uh, a flour from the owner. So the main dough can only go where the owner of that can go, but it also has salt in it. And the salt can only move, be moved wherever that neighbor put, put her uh, eruv, but wherever her techum is. Okay, so that is the law of the Mishnah. And here we're going to wonder, why doesn't the salt get, get bitul? Why don't you nullify the salt? It's so little, right? Or uh, other case with spices, um, water was a machloket. But so let's focus on this. On this. Um, so why doesn't it just, just say bitul? It's just a little bit of salt. And, you know, if a little bit of milk fell into a pot of meat, you would say, okay, don't worry about it. You can eat it. So why don't we say the same thing here, that the salt is not important and therefore... Um, thank you for lending me the salt, but I should be able to take this challah anywhere I want if I, uh, since I own the ma vast majority of the dough. That's going to be the question we're going to deal with. We're going to end all the way at the end with um, uh, three answers plus one. I think that we'll see here. Okay, so we, we start with the story. So one time, Rabbi Abba, he went from Bavel and he went up made Aliyah to Eretz Yisrael. And as he goes there, he's nervous because he's going to come to the yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael and he's an outsider. He's a stranger and he wants to be accepted. So he makes a prayer and says, may it be Hashem's will that I will say words of Torah that will be accepted and that they won't make fun of me on my first day at school. Okay, this is a very interesting tefillah. Some people wonder, why is he asking this? Why doesn't he say, I hope that I say something true, emet, right? uh, uh, the correct halacha. Why is he so worried about his, um, his, his standing? And I think the answer is sometimes you might say something true, but nevertheless, you say it, uh, you fumble, you say it in the wrong way, you do something and people make fun of you or they don't understand what you're talking about. So he says this tefillah, turns out he was right to be worried because here's what happens. He, found, he comes and finds these three rabbis who were sitting together. Other, others who say the story say it was three different rabbis. Okay, either this rabbis or that rabbis, whichever one doesn't matter. The key is, what, were their, what was their question? What was the topic on the agenda of that day in the Bet Midrash? Why 
they were talking about our very Mishnah, and they were wondering, how come the water and the salt doesn't become nullified because of the dough? There's much more dough. There's only a little bit of water and salt. Let it be nullified, and therefore let the whole thing, dough, be mined, the bakers, so that I can take, carry it anywhere that I can go. And I don't have to worry that there's a little bit of salt for my neighbor, and she made an eruv all the way the other direction, because maybe she likes some, uh, you know, some speaker over there, or her grandmother lives far away over there. So why should that limit me? Why don't we say bitul like we would for pig and meat and milk and anything else? That's a really good question. So Rabbi Abba walks in from Babel to Yisrael, and he says, oh, I have something to add here. Right now is his chance to shine. He says, let me give you an analogy. Let's say I have some wheat. I have 10 kav of wheat. And then somehow that one kav of someone else gets mixed up. I don't own it, right? And so not that I necessarily stole it on purpose, but somehow I mismanaged, I mislabeled, and I took someone else's and I mixed it up with mine. Now, would you say be tool in that case? Would you say, oh, well, this is my, my friend Joe's wheat, but it got mixed up in mine. It's uh, 10, to, 10 to 1 is mine. So I'll say it's batel, and I can go and say, look, now I have 11. See how I gained and eat his property, even though he didn't let, he's not allowing me to eat his property. I can go and just be happy that I gained a kav. Would anyone say that? No one would say that. Why? Why don't we apply Bitul in this case? Because this is a case of ownership. And ownership is different from a prohibition. If I have a prohibition of milk and meat or pig and something kosher, then we apply nullification. But we do not, this is all to be about saying, we do not apply nullification when it comes to property. I don't say, well, it's mostly mine, so I'll take all of it, right? If I have uh, you know, some money and you drop a, a 20 and I drop my wallet, it gets mixed up. Oh, well, I guess it's all mine because Bitul. No, you don't say Bitul regarding ownership. And this is a case of ownership because the salt belongs to the neighbor and she says, mine, you got to return it, you know, or it's equivalent. And so therefore, since she has ownership in this dough, and, it, and no matter how much extra stuff I put in there, no matter how little salt, still we don't say bitul regarding ownership. That's a fundamental difference. All right, this seems to be a very nice answer. Nevertheless, achichu ale, the, the other sages from Israel, they laugh at him and he is all upset. Amar lehu, gultaihu shakle, this is why are you laughing at me? Did I steal your cloak? Did I play a practical joke on you that I took your cloak and now, you know, now you're upset that you're laughing at me and putting me down? So Rabbi Abbas seems to be really upset. Some people say that, did I steal your cloak? Is like, did I expose you that, that you don't know the answer to this, that you're uh, putting me down? Okay, but we can just say simply, he's like, I don't understand. And when he said that, they laughed at him again. They laughed at him more. Oh boy. So Rabbi Abbas really got, uh, didn't get, the um, the uh, invitation, the, the acceptance that he was hoping for, that he literally pray, prayed for. Um, but we're not sure why, because this seems to have been a good answer. And so then um, some other sages in later generation are going to come and discuss this very topic and try to defend the Biaba and defend the, the sages. So that's going to be the next few steps. 
I have an outline of this so that we can keep, keep the, the, the uh, positions clear. Uh, the Mishnah said, salt of my neighbor restri- restricts and is not batel. The sages in Israel were wondering, how come it's not batel? The Viaba gave a simple answer. Ownership does not become batel. Good. Um, okay. The sages laugh. We don't know why. But now what we're going to see is Rav Oshaya is going to say that, hold on, everybody agrees with Bitul. Bitul works all the time. He just seems to either ignore or not agree with this distinction that Rabbi Abba said that ownership does not become batel. Rav Safra is going to come and defend Rabbi Abba in his absence, and Abaye will then respond. Rav Safra will, will defend again, and Abaye will respond. So let's see each step in turn. So we're going to, we're going to Rav Oshaya. Amad Oshaya Shapir Avu Dachichu Ale. Right when we read the story, we seem uh, seem to think these sages in Israel they're a bit mean, no, to laugh at a guest that's coming. But Avashi says they had a right to laugh because what Abi Abba said is totally wrong. Why? Look at this. How Abi Abba pulled the wool over their eyes. Look at the example that he brought. He was trying to talk about a case of salt in dough. Salt and dough are not like, not like kinds. And, um, and generally, if you put something that is unlike, like milk and meat, since it has different tastes and it falls in, if it don't taste anything and don't see anything, that means it's so little. So it's easier to do bitul when you have two different kinds that mix with, mix with each other. And look at him, look at Abba. He gives us an example of kav chitin in chitin, which is like inside like. And so you see, like and like um, is, is harder to do be told because it's all the same thing. You can't say it's nullified in something else if it's all the same type of material. So that's, first of all, the analogy that he gave is not the same. He's trying to prove be from a case of min bemino to a case, our case is min beshe'enomino, where be happens. That's first. And second of all, even min bemino, chitin bechitin namen, he did the biyudala batil, rabanan miftal batil. It's true. There's a machloket about that. And biyudah says, if it's like kinds, then even if it's a lot, it can't, you can't consider it nullified because it's all there. Um, and only if it's different kinds, then it's different tastes, different types. And if it's so little that it's gone, then he'd say bitul. But even in min bemino, the banan say you can do bitul. So you have uh, you know a little bit of non-kosher meat and a lot of uh, uh, co- a little bit of non-kosher meat, a lot of kosher meat, and it all tastes the same, and you can't tell the difference. It looks the same. Then uh, even in that case, the banan say it is batel. Okay, so there you go. Ravoshaya says first of all, you gave a case that's not equivalent, and then if it was equivalent, you would be wrong. In other words, he's saying that bitul works across the board. Uh, either he's not picking up on the distinction between ownership and isur, or maybe more likely he doesn't agree with it, and bitul can work all the time, even in a case of ownership. What would he say about this case of kavchitin? Would he really say you can keep the extra, that kav, and eat it? Well, I think everyone would agree that you have to pay back the money, right? So that's true. You, have to, you can't just steal it. But... Uh, he he would say that you can take since it's indistinguishable. You don't have to just throw away all the all eleven kav or give it to the other guy. You can eat it. So yeah, there is bitul even in ownership. It gets mixed together, and uh, so too in this case 
that's there should be bitul, and that's why those rabbis in Israel had a question on the Mishnah. How come the Mishnah doesn't have bitul? And that's why they left that to be Abba, who's making up this thing that regarding ownership, there's no bitul. Okay, good. So that's where we are now. We're back at the question. Now, Rav Safa is going to come and defend the uh, Bi'aba in with the case of pebbles. So let's look at this case of pebbles in wheat. So he tells of Rashi, he calls him Moshe as a kind of honorific. Oh, you're so great. You're like Moshe, right? Um, uh, or maybe as an oath, like Moshe, how could, you know, by the life of Moshe, Shapir Kamat, is this correct what you said? And you said you could do bitul all the time, no matter what, even ownership. Haven't you ever heard of what, of this statement in the name of Rav? I go to your granary. You have all your grain piled up there, all your wheat there. And I go and I pick out the pebbles. Why would I do this? I don't know. Maybe I need pebbles for something. So I go and take out the pebbles. Now, do you care? You don't want the pebbles in there. They're, um, they're uh, impurities. So, you know, it would look like I'm doing you a favor by taking out the pebbles. Um, good. Now, nevertheless, I have to pay I, who took the pebbles pebbles from your granary, I have to pay you for the space as if the space of the pebbles was full of wheat. Why? Because usually when you have the granary and you go out to sell it, you sell it according to weight. And the stones are included in the weight. And everyone accepts it because there's some impurities. And so you would be paid actually for the weight of those stones uh, or, for the, or for the volume of those pebbles that I took out. Therefore, I have to pay you back actually more, not just the value of the pebbles, which is zero, but rather for the space that I emptied out, right? Therefore, you see the measure was reduced after I take all the pebbles. Now it's uh, you know a few gallons less or a few pounds less. I have to pay you for that. Here too, I, I would say the same thing. That that salt, however insignificant it is, still is not nullified. Here's the argument. If pebbles that are actually worthless and nobody wants them, nevertheless, we don't say they're batel in the wheat. They retain their own essence. And if I take it, I have to pay it back. So too, all the more so salt, which has more significance, uh, more value than pebbles, all the more so when it's mixed in, it retains its, its status because it's owned by someone else and therefore it is not batel. And so this is a re- reviving the argument that something that is of monetary value, that of shared ownership that someone cares about is not going to be batel. Um, and that is a proof for it to be abba. So we now defended uh, to be abba. Okay, brilliant. Now, Abaye says, no, I don't. Uh, Abaye is now going to defend the sages of Israel and say, no, this is incorrect. Says, Hold on, there's a difference between money, that uh, something of value that people want. There's claimants to them. The case of pebbles, this is, they, he wants compensation because this is actually valuable, not the pebbles themselves, but the space. And so, yeah, he's not, he doesn't, he doesn't, uh, you don't say be tool because 
he really cares about that. But it's not the same as water and salt. My neighbor who gave me a little salt, she doesn't care about that salt. She doesn't, she's not going to come and take that salt. After Yom Tov is finished, okay, uh, may, uh, maybe, right? I'll pay her back. Maybe she'll care and say, I need one, a little salt. I want some water. Okay, fine. But right now, she doesn't care about it. She forgot about it. And she doesn't, it's not worth anything. There's no claimant. And therefore, he would say, you're right. Um, ownership, if someone cares about it, yeah, maybe doesn't, you, you don't do bitul. But if someone doesn't care about it, which is this case, then you should have bitul, um, even though technically they have a claim to ownership, but there's no claimant, they don't care about it, it's really worthless. So we should have bitul, and that revives the question on the Mishnah. All right, now Rav Safra has his uh, last argument, and this is going to be a, le- a long one. Basically, the key point is going to be at the end, which is about hefker. Remember that watch example I said before? If there's a watch that was there from before Yom Tov, someone lost it, whatever, a few days ago, and it's there in the middle of the street. So it's, it's up for grabs, it has no markers, anyone can take it. The guy left it there. Um, so I can pick it up. The problem is that I cannot take it if I made an Eruf 2,000 Amot to the east. I can't take it all the way to the east 4,000 Amot. It's limited to that 2,000 Amot around that watch. It retains its own uh, value. And what you see from here is that even something that has no value, no owner, no claimant, nevertheless has a, its own Eruv, right? It has its own place. And you don't say it's just batel. Now, once I take it, okay, now it becomes mine, right? So even something that has no claimant uh, does not become batel. And so therefore, uh, that would be like the salt, which also nobody cares about, has no claimant, would not become batel. So that's Rav Safra's challenge. Uh, but we're gonna, uh, he's going to talk about another case before he gets there. So let's see. Uh, what he's doing first is he's, he's contradicting the first case, that something that has a claimant would, um, would be not batel. He's going to show that that doesn't work either. Something that has a claimant is not batel. He is showing it from this case of meat and meat. If I have nevela meat, nevela is tameh. Besides not being kosher, it also causes tum'ah. And I have one piece of nevela that fell into a bunch of pieces of kosher meat. Kosher meat that doesn't, uh, is tahor. It doesn't cause tum'ah. And now it's batel. Why? Because it's impossible for the shechuta to become nevela. That's shechuta meat. Once I do shechita, it's tahor. It's never going to get the status of nevela in terms of it being tameh. And therefore, if it falls in, it's batel, um, and if someone touches the mixture, they're all right. They'll be still be tahor. However, the other way around is different. Shechuta ena betela bin vela. If a little bit of shechuta meat falls into a lot of nevela, and so most of it is tameh, it's not batel. Um, it's not batel. Meaning, so what will be the consequence? Since it's not batel, if someone touches it, there's safek tahor, safek tameh. Right, and you don't say it's all tumah, it's all tameh. Maybe they test the shechuta piece. Why? Because um, in this case, 
then nevela can be some become shechuta. Now it can't become kosher meat, but it means that is that it can become not tameh. If you leave the nevela out till it rots and no is no longer edible, once it's not food, something that's not food cannot retain tum'ah. So then the tum'ah leaves it. So therefore you see, since it can become shechuta, so it's not going to be batel. Okay, so that's, that's the law and uh, regarding the difference. Now, why is this relevant uh, to us? In this case, where you can have bitul this way and that way, would you say that, oh, if it's owned, let's say the first case where it is, you, you can have bitul, if, I, if this nivela was owned by person A and the shechuta was owned by person B, would you say that then it doesn't become batel? because there's ownership and ownership doesn't become patel and then this law wouldn't apply, that would be strange. I mean, that would be crazy. That would be like any case of uh, milk and meat or, or kosher and non-kosher that mixing something, if it has different owners, it's not patel. So the idea that ownership, um, something that has a claimant will not be, ta- will not be, be not be bevatel, um, leads us to a strange conclusion in this case. So, would you think that? Okay. And if you think, yes, indeed. Right? If you, if you would even agree with that, I have a, another question, a follow-up. We have the law that something that was made of kid, ownerless, right? Um, that watch in the street. Nevertheless, it retains its own a place and it cannot be moved by anybody 2,000 amot around from where it is. Even though it has no owner, no claimant, no worth because no one has it. Nevertheless, it's as if it has an owner, it has an imaginary owner and that will go around with it. And so you see that we don't, we can, um, it, it, it retains its status um, and retains this law. And therefore, um, that is uh, Abaye here saying, um, right, this was um, Rav Safra uh, saying um, that, uh, which step are we up to here? Rav Safra saying the Hefker, right? Hefker, this watch in the street is not Batel for Eruv, and sim, this is similar to the salt, which also is has no claimant. My neighbor doesn't care about it. And nevertheless, it's not batel. And so that's of Safra backing up to be about once again. And now we have a final statement of Abaye Amale. Mika, mika midamet isura le mamona. Isura batel. Mamona la batel. This is, uh, listen, I, I, would, I might even agree because you brought some good sources that in fact, um, uh, ownership, it cannot become batel. Uh, but something that is a prohibition is batel. And what I disagree with you about is the categorization of the laws of Eruv. You were assuming the whole time, uh, the Bi'aba and Rav Safra, that the laws of Eruv have only to do with ownership. You own half of this uh, animal. You own the salt that's in here. And that's why it's a batel. I don't agree with that. I don't think it's a law of bitul because it has an aspect of isur, it's prohibition. I mean, you can see that from this thing that's hefker. It's not even owned and doesn't own by anyway, by anyone, but it, it retains its isur. This cannot be moved outside um, its techum. So therefore, since it has an, you're right, it has an aspect of ownership that sets 
where, who, where it's going to be because who owns it, but it also has an aspect of prohibition. And therefore, um, Bitul does not work um, for the cases of Eruv. And that's his final answer. All right, so we had four stages of this argument back and forth among different sages. And so we have an explanation for the Mishnah according to the Bi'aba and the Rav Safra, because they think that um, the laws of Eruv have to do with ownership and ownership does not become batel. And that's why when my neighbor gives me some salt or some water and that's theirs, so then I cannot take this anywhere else. So we understand that's why I made them in black, but the ones in red, challenge it and challenge it. And therefore they end up without any explanation for the Mishnah, right? They made fun of him. It's easy to make fun, but what about your own answer? So how will you explain the Mishnah? They're not rejecting the Mishnah. And so now we turn to that and we give three answers that all the rest of the rabbis will accept. So Vitamamai, why in fact is the salt in the dough not nullified? Answer number one, Abaye, who was the uh, Interlocutor above says, Amar, If I allow a person to borrow salt and put it in, and yeah, they can go and take it around. So really technically fine. That would, I, I could allow that. It should be batel. The problem is, right, that if I do that, then the next time I'm going to say, oh, can I borrow flour, right? I don't have enough flour and I'm going to mix together. And now this is a partnership. Well, let's make it together. And I'll say, just like when I borrowed the salt, that was okay. So too, if I partner with it and we both have significant ingredients, then also I can take it anywhere I want. And that will be not true. So therefore people don't know how to make that subtle distinction. So we make a gezera. That's answer number one. Answer number two, what are you talking about here? Spices, salt, and other spices, these give a lot of taste. And anything that gives a lot of taste is not going to be batel, right? Which is true in other, other areas of yore uh, de'a as well, that if you can taste it, even if it's a small amount, so that taste is by definition not nullified because it's there and you can taste it. So the salt is evident even if it's a small amount. Labatils, right? This important principle that's something that will become permissible. Just wait till tomorrow. So, why should I give you a permission to take this dough and move it wherever you want today, this bread? Um, I, if you just wait till tomorrow, then that's it. There's no problem. It's after Shabbat or after Yom Tov, and there's no problem of limitations of Tichum. And then you can do whatever you want. And that's the general rule. If you could just wait, and it'll be permitted because you want to bring it to your grandmother who lives over there. So then you just uh, wait and we don't apply bitul anytime you can wait. And in that case, it will be permitted to do. And so therefore we have these three reasons that say fundamentally it is batel, but for some other consideration, we say it's not actually the buzz, kind of fundamental because it actually is giving taste. And uh, we have the uh, other opinion of Rabbi Abba, who yeah, we made, he was made fun of but we saw he is he was onto something, um, and that significant idea that ownership uh, does not become batel only isur v'eter can possibly become batel. Baruch Adonai leolam. Amen. Ve